Welcome back to the show. Let's check out everything that's happening with Smash Wrestling. It's been kind of quiet since their last show, August 24th, here in London for Born to be Wild. That doesn't mean they're going to be quiet for much longer, because as of September 6th, they're going to be at the Western Fair here in London, Ontario for the next 10 days. There should be a show every day in the Progress Building, and you won't want to miss out on that. They'll feature a lot of the Tyson Dukes Wrestle Factory students, as they haven't been able to do any matches and take bumps preparing for this week at the fair. With that said, we're going to be delaying this week's edition of the production line, as I only have really one match in the archives to be able to put together. I'm waiting for them to do more matches at the factory, and so until then, we're just going to be on a slight hiatus. You can check out the Western Fair website for the complete schedule of when Smash Wrestling will be doing their matches. After the Western Fair is over, on September 20th, Smash Wrestling presents Welcome to the Proving Grounds. It's going to take place at Fanshawe College, and the Tyson Dukes Wrestle Factory students have been challenged to choose their opponents to meet them on the Proving Ground. Tickets are just $20, and earlier this week, Alan Taylor started releasing some of the matchups that are going to be happening at Proving Grounds. Michael Grayson makes his Proving Grounds debut against Smash Wrestling's most complicated idiot, The Muscle. Grayson is possibly the most studious of all of Tyson's trainees, and The Muscle traded a championship opportunity for a really long chain, and then lost it the same night. The big lads will be wrestling as John Greed is a former Ontario wrestling top prospect, and he's taking on the star student, Jim Strider. Strider holds the contract for a Smash Wrestling Championship match in his future. Greed intends to make sure he doesn't get there. Ethan Dukes has been in this business since before he could walk, but Sebastian Swab has a huge issue with young blood in Smash Wrestling, even if it is his stablemate's son. Ethan enters the Proving Grounds on September 20th, opposite the endorsement. And the last match that's been announced so far has Jordan James taking on Carter Mason. Jordan has a chance to prove himself in singles competition when he faces off against Carter Mason. James has been taking on tough competition as part of the revolt, but Mason is no easy opponent. Once again, this all takes place in the Proving Grounds, September 20th, Fanshawe College. Doors open at 7 o'clock and scheduled to go to 11. Tickets are just $20 and you can get your tickets by going to smash-wrestling.com. Then, October 27th, Smash Wrestling is in Tilsonburg at the Lions Auditorium in Tilsonburg, Ontario. It's Sunday, October 27th at 4 p.m. This concludes your Smash Wrestling Report as more events will be announced in the near future. As I mentioned last weekend on the show, Border Town Pro Wrestling was holding an event called Takedown. Border Town is in the Fort Erie, Niagara region, and here are the results from that card. Ethan Dukes defeated Kyle Boone. Corey Stone defeated Farrell Bowman. Jesse V defeated Sola Ali, Bruce James, and Dallas Kyle in a fatal four-way match. Carter Mason defeated Sebastian Suave, 
Alexia Nicole defeated Nova. Tyler Turvin defeated Kobe Durst. Mark Wheeler defeated Gabriel Fuerza and Von Vertigo in a triple threat match to retain the Adrenaline Division Championship. Tyson Dukes defeated El Reverso and Scotty O'Shea in a triple threat match to become the new number one contender for the Niagara Regional Championship. Jim Stryer defeated Corey Stone to retain the Niagara Regional Championship. Joe Pimentel defeated Phil Atlas. Congo Kong defeated Ethan Page to retain the Bordertown Pro Wrestling Championship. Bordertown Pro Wrestling would like to thank everyone who came out to the show, and they look forward to seeing everyone again on September 28th for their next show, Brawl in the Fall. Now let's take a look at some of the events happening this weekend around Ontario in the wrestling world. On September 6th, Rock Solid Wrestling presents Midland Mania 4. It happens at the Midland YMCA in Midland, Ontario. Also on September 6th, PWA presents Welly Cast in Guelph, Ontario. It's happening at 7.30 p.m., at the Wellington Brewery in Guelph, Ontario. This year, the festival will feature 25 cast beers and ciders at each session, including unique one-off creations, guest features from celebrity brewers across Ontario, and a one-of-a-kind collaboration. The weekend will also feature delicious food from the region's best food trucks and vendors, live music, brewery tours, vintage arcade, axe throwing, and more. As a special addition to this year's event, they'll be hosting a women's wrestling showdown presented by PWA and Queen of Crafts on the Friday night. Funds raised during this show will support the Canadian Mental Health Association. We know that Nova will take on Sabrina Kyle. So if you love beer, you love wrestling, and you want to help out a good cause with the Canadian Mental Health Association, Make your way to Guelph, Ontario on September 6th. On Saturday, September 7th, Barry Wrestling presents Back to School 6. It's happening in Barry, Ontario. You'll see the third annual Von Vertigo Invitational to determine who will challenge him for the Barry Wrestling Heavyweight Championship. The Walking Weapon Seminar is back on September 7th in Barry. Josh Alexander will host a training seminar from 12 till 2. Get in now for $30 and contact Barry Wrestling or Sean Gibson to reserve your spot. Later on in the night, Josh Alexander will be busy because he'll be taking on Brent Banks. They tried to get these two in the ring back in May and it just wasn't in the cards. But at Back to School 6, the walking weapon Josh Alexander and money Brent Banks will show why they're two of the best talents in the country as ever produced. Jody Threat last defended her women's championship on Canada Day weekend and told Barry Wrestling she wanted someone who will be willing to bring the fight to her when she comes back in September. Addie Starr is known to the Barry fans, but not to those who compete on the women's division across the province. Very simply, this will be a fight between the very tough champion and challenger hungry to make her name for herself. Barry Wrestling Women's Championship will be on the line as Joey Threat defends against Addie Starr. Betrayed by his former manager, Nug, 
jumped by the golden gun Mark Wheeler and Jesse V. Lionel Knight has revenge on his mind as he heads to September's big event. But with the size of Jesse V and his yet unknown arsenal, has Black Lavender bit off more than he can chew. Lionel Knight takes on Jesse V. Kobe Durst will take on the Golden Gun Mark Wheeler. We saw this match back in March, and while it was a solid, hard-hitting contest, it was ruined by the interference and introduction of Jesse V. That won't happen this time. Jesse has been barred from ringside, and these two men will continue their war that they previously had, and will have a winner this time. Which is good, because there will be a reward for the winner with this match. Puff feels he's the greatest three pistols champion of all time. And really, who can argue? Puff has defended the title against all who have challenged him. He's defended it in other promotions, in wrestling school gyms, on Dunlop Street, and in a pond. He's been everywhere. At Back to School 6, Puff has opted to defend the title against two opponents who he feels are hungry for opportunity. Which is good, because this whole thing is sponsored by Domino's Pizza, and they know hunger. That's Back to School 6, presented by Barry Wrestling, on Saturday, September 7th, in Barry, Ontario. Show starts at 5 p.m. Get your tickets by checking out the Barry Wrestling site. If you're in the Hamilton area, you can check out Hamilton Pro Wrestling with Back to School 3, on Saturday, September 7th, at 7 p.m., at Don Polsky in Hamilton, Ontario. There'll be a six-way fray involving McGregor, Gunner, Mowgli, Van Landen, Grimm, and Danny Vicious. Cutthroat Chris Logan will take on Evan Greenaway. The Hamilton Pro Wrestling Championship will be on the line as Corey Stone takes on Mike Forte. Doc Richards faces off against safe Travis Moore. There'll be a three-way triple threat tag team match for the Hamilton Pro Wrestling Tag Team titles. The Empire, Jake Jones and Tyler Arrow, and Raunchy Nuts all face off in this three-way triple threat match. Ace Cannon takes on Marcus Gold II. And a tag team match features Wade Allen and Clay Wilson teaming up to go against Ricky Stardust and Johnny D. All this happens as HPW presents Back to School 3 at Don Polsky Hall in Hamilton, Ontario. Doors open at 7 p.m. with the first bell at 7.30. You can get more information and your tickets by checking out HamiltonProWrestling at gmail.com. And this week's calendar wraps up on September 8th as NWX presents live pro wrestling at the warehouse in St. Catharines, Ontario. Doors open at 6.30 with the first bell at 7. Let's check out what happened this past weekend at AEW's All Out. It's pay-per-view coming to you from Chicago, Illinois, one year after all, the All In pay-per-view. Your commentators for this event were Golden Boy, Jim Ross, and Excalibur which is a lot better than having Alex Marvez there, and it's going to be a little bit different from their TNT show when Golden Boy is replaced by Tony Schiavone. However, I still don't feel the passion that Jim Ross used to have. Maybe it's the fact that he's no longer at ringside and he's further back, and so the action's not right on top of him, 
but he feels like he's just sitting there talking with some friends and reminiscing about what he's seeing. Sort of like he, how he does with Conrad Thompson with Grill and JR podcast. Regardless of that, we started off the show with the buy-in. It was the free show that everybody was able to get as a preview. And they didn't waste time talking about what's coming up and everything. They went right to the ring with the women's casino battle royale. Just like the men's uh, double or nothing. This one had 21 women in the battle royal where they came out at five at a time. I'm not overly a fan of this concept as they seem to take away from any entrances and anything special. Like, who would have known that ODB was in this match until they actually were facing off in a four-way face-off? They need to really come up with a different strategy for this. Anyway, some of the women got their spots. Priscilla Kelly was there in the first group with Nyla Rose. And eventually, before the next group came out, Nyla Rose had basically got rid of everybody and showed that she was a dominant force to be reckoned with in the uh, event. Some of the other people got some spots. You had Awesome Kong in there. She accidentally hit Brandy Rhodes, but that didn't uh, stop them from teaming up against each other. But people got rid of Awesome Kong, and then Brandy was left by herself and didn't last much longer. Um, Allie did get a chance to go after Brandy Rhodes, so they're continuing with that uh, concept there. Britt Baker made her way out. There was Jazz, former WWE uh, women's champion ODB as I mentioned of course the handwriting seemed to be on the wall that Brett Baker was going to end up winning and they pulled a little bit of a swerve probably thinking that everybody thought Brett Baker was going to get it too so instead Britt was the last one eliminated by Nyla Rose who made it from start to finish and she will now be the number one contender for the future AEW Women's Champion that will be presented on October 2nd on the first TNT show. She just had to wait for the results of the Rio versus Hikaru Shida match as the winner from that was going to be declared the other number one contender for the Women's Championship and face off against Nyla Rose. The second match in the buy-in saw a tag team match with Private Party and that's Isaiah Cassidy and Mark Quinn and they look a whole lot and act a whole lot like WNXT version of the Street Profits. And they took on Angelico and Jack Evans. This was a huge uh, high-flying back-and-forth match. A uh, lot of spot fest, basically. And Private Party pulled off the gin and juice on Evans to get the victory. After the match, however, all four stood victorious. Uh, with their hands raised but then Evans and Angelical end up attacking Private Party essentially turning heel and going to continue this feud as they go forward to the TV in October. Then the main show for All Out started and the event opened with SoCal Uncensored, Christopher Daniels, Frankie Kazarian and Scorpio Sky facing off against the Jurassic Express Jungle Boy, 
Luchasaurus, and Marco Stunt. Danielson Kasarian performed the best Meltzer driver on both Jungle Boy and Marco Stunt at the same time, and they pinned Stunt to get the victory. Next up was Kenny Omega against Pac. Originally, Kenny Omega was supposed to go against John Moxley, but because of a staph infection in Moxley's elbow, he was unable to attend and pulled out. Pac picked up the victory, and Pac ended up forcing Omega to pass out due to the brutalizer for the victory. It was actually reported that Pac and Omega were not really happy with their performance, even though a lot of people, including myself, consider it one of the best matches of the night. Rumor has it that they went along on their match, but still didn't get everything they wanted to get in to complete the full story that they wanted to tell. So Pac ended up getting the victory over Omega, but if they have another chance at going at it, they probably will and try and get everything they want and be satisfied with the match they tried to put on at All Out. The third match of the night saw Joey Janela, Darby Allen, and Jimmy Havoc compete in a three-way match known as the Cracker Barrel Clash. Early in the match, Janela and Allen had duct-taped Havoc to a chair and put thumbtacks in his mouth and taped it shut. Later, Allen attempted a suicide fall with the Cracker Barrel positioned on top of Havoc, who was lying on the steps, but Havoc moved, causing Allen to crash through and the barrel on top of the steps. But in the end, Havoc performed an acid rainmaker through a barrel to Janela to pick up the victory. Darby Allen also had a skateboard that had thumbtacks on it, and he uh, used it at one point to jump off the top rope and land on the back of Joy Janela, scraping it all up. So, yeah, it was quite crazy with uh, all the weapons that they wanted to do and definitely used thumbtacks to their advantage. The Dark Order, who most of us know as the Super Smash Brothers, Evil Uno and Stu Grayson, faced off against best friends Chuck Taylor and Trent Beretta. This was to get a first-round bye in the tag team tournament that will be starting when they get the TV show to crown the first tag team champions of AEW. Uno and Grayson performed a fatality on Beretta to get the win. After the match, the Dark Order attacked the best friends. Then the lights went out, and Orange Cassidy appeared in the ring to help the best friends, and he dived out of the ring onto the creatures while still having his hands in his pocket, like his signature not really caring, but still doing things. It's just a shame that people don't know who the Super Smash Brothers are and able to get over. The crowd was rather dead. So it's a shame, but they are moving on to the bye of the tag team tournament. With the crowd somewhat dead, it was hard for them to get back into the match that came up next with Rio taking on Hiraku Shida with the winner, as I said, getting the second number one contender spot for the women's title. Rio ended up picking up the victory with a roll-up on Shida. In my opinion, the best match of the night came up next when Cody took on Sean Spears. 
Cody came out with Brandy Rhodes, DDP, of course, their dog, Pharaoh, who got scared by the fireworks, and MJF, who got to stay at ringside as each person was allowed one person in the corner. Sean Spears came out with Tully Blanchard by his side. During the match, Blanchard attempted to interfere multiple times. Eventually, his former tag team partner of the Four Horsemen and Brainbusters, Aaron Anderson, came out. And with the referee distracted, Anderson hit a spinebuster on Sean Spears. The end came when Cody performed crossroads on Spears to pick up the victory. And then we had the most crazy ladder match that I can think of in a long time. As the AAA tag team titles were suspended above the ring. And the Lucha Brothers were defending against the Young Bucks. This match saw a lot of crazy spots. There was even a spot where uh, one of the Bucks got his foot caught on the rope as he was being sent over the top and through a table. So that could have almost been very disastrous. There was a Canadian destroyer off a ladder through a table uh, performed by, I believe it was Phoenix, onto Matt Jackson. And yeah, sometimes I just lost sight of who was who doing this, uh, these crazy crashes through the tables. And yeah, the ladders were going all over the place. The only thing that was missing was chairs to make a full TLC match. In the end, though, uh, Pentagon and Phoenix performed the uh, Fear Factor Springboard Double Foot Stomp combination on a bridge ladder on Matt. Pentagon and Phoenix then retrieved the belts to retain the uh, championships. And apparently, it's the last time that the titles for AAA will be involved with AEW. After the match, though, Santana and Ortiz, formerly known as LAX in Impact Wrestling, made their uh, debut. They were wearing former presidential uh, masks and then tore them off and revealed themselves as uh, Santana and Ortiz. And they attacked both the Lucha Brothers and the Young Bucks. So they just left Impact Wrestling and are now in AEW, strengthening what was already a very strong tag team division for AEW. Now, if Matt and Nick Jackson can continue the momentum that they want and live up to the fact, well, since they are tag team themselves, that they want to highlight tag teams for their company, then this was a huge pickup along with the Lucha Brothers, the Dark Order, SoCal Uncensored themselves, best friends. Yeah, the division is going to be stacked. The main event saw Chris Jericho face off against Hangman Adam Page to crown the first AEW world champion. We know that Page had won the 20-man uh, Casino Battle Royale at Double or Nothing, and Jericho had beat Kenny Omega, each to earn the spot. Page attempted a shooting star press at one point off the ring apron on Jericho, 
and Jericho countered with a codebreaker. Page attempted a buckshot lariat, but Jericho countered it into another codebreaker for another near fall. Page ended up performing the dead eye on Jericho for a near fall for himself. And Page uh, hit the a second buckshot lariat on Jericho, but Jericho hit the juice effect on Page to win the title and become the inaugural AEW world champion. This win for Jericho became his, the first wrestler to win the WCW world championship and the WWE championship along with now the AEW championship. Which, oddly enough, Chris Jericho lost two days after getting crowned the new champion. He apparently left the title in his limousine uh, when he was going to a Longhorse Steakhouse in Tallahassee and then had to report it stolen to the police. There was a huge investigation, a police report. Uh, Jericho launched a worldwide investigation to find the scumbag, he said at the 22-second mark of his video while sipping some bubbly from his hot tub. But, yeah, he was looking for the scumbag who ended up stealing the championship. And all of AEW's social media was buzzed trying to look for the championship. There were so many memes and videos made involving the stolen title. And, however, on Wednesday, Tallahassee police confirmed that they had recovered the championship belt and posted a picture on Facebook. And Jericho now has the title back. He made another video and yeah, it's quite the adventure just over a little bit of time of that belt being in existence, losing it and finding it again. Thankfully, at least at the same time, AEW does have a second title if it was needed. And it's sort of probably like WWE with a traveling title and a TV one for uh, site. But yeah, Jericho first champion in AEW history and it leads into the new show happening on October 2nd still waiting on word of what's going to happen for us here in Canada for being able to see it because pretty sure unless you have a Android uh, box we're not getting TNT and we need a Canadian distributor for the show AEW's next pay-per-view offering is going to be full gear and it's happening November 9th in Baltimore, Maryland. Conrad Thompson is also going to have another StarCast. So StarCast 4 will also happen during the November 9th weekend. Already two matches are signed for full gear. And that has John Moxley taking on Kenny Omega. It's expected that Moxley's staph infection will be cleared up by then. And he'll be back working as he's also expected to be on the AEW TV show. Also, Chris Jericho defends against Cody for the AEW World Championship. That's provided that Chris Jericho has not lost the title on the second edition of the TNT show on October 9th because both the men's and women's title are expected to be defended that night. Just want to check in on some of the activity and panels at StarCast 3 that happened during AEW's All Out Weekend in Chicago. Two of them of importance 
were the Cody Rhodes one and the CM Punk one. On the Cody show, it was with uh, Tony Schiavone, and they addressed Schiavone's upcoming role with AEW, and that apparently he was also in negotiations with WWE thanks to Bruce Pritchard, but ultimately he's now over with AEW instead. Of course, it kind of upset Court Bauer, who has MLW Wrestling, and he's part of that too, especially when Tony made an unexpected appearance on Being the Elite or The Road to All Out, one of the two shows. And, uh, yeah, so they ended up working things out. And I guess Tony is now going to be part of the broadcast team when they go Wednesday nights on TNT, but still do his committed MLW stuff. So he's going to be quite busy, because I'm not sure what's even going to go on with Tony's baseball commentary either. When Tony does join the broadcast team it'll be with Excalibur and Jim Ross making a three-man booth that way. Cody touched a bit on his role as executive vice president with AEW and while admitting that he's had some ups and downs and some maybe missteps in that role he's actually really enjoying it and said he'd even be willing to step away from wrestling a bit to do this role more justice and do less wrestling that's how much he's really enjoying this role as executive vice president then he talked about some of the things that are going to happen on the tnt show with no 20-minute talking segments so obviously taking a stab at wde with the fact that raw and smackdown always have a 20-minute talking segment to start the show and usually at least maybe another one especially on raw but they're going to not have that. They're going to not have a PG rating. Uh, apparently it's going to be a TV-14. And they're going to not have invisible backstage cameras. So also mocking what WD does with uh, backstage skits that way. Being that he's from the Atlanta area, he's really wanting to bring wrestling, AEW wrestling that is, back to the Atlanta area. And it still chimes so much that he's trying to make up for what WCW did wrong or making up to what happened to his father and honoring his father's dream, no pun intended, with the American dream. But yeah, he's very desperate to do that. It has always felt like that to me from day one. Um, so he's playing and trying to get them in Atlanta, the State Farm Arena, do a T, uh, TNT show there, maybe even pay-per-view eventually. There's talk that after this another Sears Center event in November for TV, that they're going to try and get the United Center in Chicago. So definitely between Atlanta and Chicago, they're somewhat their prime focus. And I would imagine Florida and Jacksonville, since Tony Khan is there. Cody then talked briefly about his uh, moment at the end of uh, his match with Dustin and how it was unscripted and very emotional, especially in front of the crowd. And it's one of those moments that while people think that wrestling is fake, you can't fake that sort of emotion. And uh, he just really enjoyed that moment of realism with his brother. Cody was also then asked about the signing of Orange Cassidy. I guess there's a lot of negativity on Orange, but I had no issue with him when he was here in London for Smash Wrestling. 
it's very funny. His uh, gimmick is, um, it's definitely different, but I guess the Young Bucks ended up signing him, and there was a lot of flack uh, from others about this signing. Like I said, I don't understand why, but he's really into uh, Orange Cassidy as well. And then he also talked about uh, wanting to see Rey Mysterio do really well in WWE um, because he sort of, I guess, owes his career, he feels, to Cody, uh, or sorry, to Rey because they had their match at WrestleMania 27. And he's hoping that WWE does right by Cody and obviously Dominic. And if not, then he's willing to uh, bring Rey in if and when his contract ends and uh, Ray's willing to continue working. Overall, I thought it was a really good show and uh, gave some insight on where Cody is sitting and his mindset uh, moving forward towards the TV deal, where it's been in the past, and what he's looking to uh, rectify. Like I said, he's trying to make up for his dad's legacy. And, yeah, I'd highly recommend you going to Fight TV app and checking it out. There was also a, a impromptu JR and Tony Schiavone uh, panel to replace Moxley. DDP showed up. The Brain Busters were there. Uh, there was a girl that was a fan who uh, owes her being able to talk again to the commentary of Jim Ross and Tony Schiavone and DDP Yoga. And so it was a pretty good panel uh, that lasted an hour. McFoley did his stand-up, telling some stories. He took some questions. And then it was the main reason why StarCast was, I guess, as huge as it was this year, with only having 11 panels. But it was the CM Punk panel. Surprisingly to me, the CM Punk uh, panel was also on pay-per-view, along with uh, the Fight TV app, and he ended up going overtime from what the pay-per-view was scheduled, so there was a little cut-in from Mark Madden, and I can't really think of his name at the moment, but they uh, said, hey, this ends the pay-per-view, Caster Ross on Fight, and they went a good almost two hours with the CM Punk uh, panel. The Punk panel was hosted by PW Insider's Mike Johnson, who's actually a good friend of uh, Punk's, and he was asked how it was to be back in a wrestling setting, and because it's been a while, but Punk just brushed it off that every setting seems to be a wrestling setting for him, uh, regardless of what panel he is doing, whether it's at a Comic-Con or UFC, there's always stuff being brought up about his wrestling career. Mike Johnson asked about the fact that there's rumors about him showing up at AEW. Um, he said no, he wasn't going to be there at All Out because he had a date with AJ, who he hadn't seen for a bit since he'd been also filming some movies, one being The Girl on the Third Floor, which is coming out very soon. It's a horror movie with 80% of the screen time being him. And he's not overly keen on seeing his own stuff, and he's very critical of his own uh, material. I noticed that he didn't really address the rumor of him uh, or his agent and him being in talk with FS1 for doing the WWE 
show that is rumored to be happening that might also have Renee Young. Punk was asked if he misses wrestling at all, and uh, if there's anybody who inspires him currently that would uh, bring him back. And he said, no, he's happy with the career that he had, and uh, that there really isn't anybody out there that is having him chomping at the bit to go, oh, i got to wrestle that guy. But then at the same time, he kind of uh, alluded to the fact that he's never been really asked. And he uh, told a story about Steve Austin being backstage, and he's always would always be hanging around back there, but nobody asked him to participate in anything until one day uh, CM Punk asked him to be out there and hit a, a bunch of stunners on people uh, to send people home happy. And it was after the cameras had gone off the air. And Steve was like, well, okay, sure, because nobody's ever asked me, but thanks for asking, and he went out and did it. And it seems like CM Punk is at that same sort of stage where he's willing to at least listen to Triple H or Vince McMahon if they wanted to come to him and bring him back to WWE, but they simply haven't contacted him. And he alluded to that as well with the fact that, I guess, uh, he around 2014 when he was getting ready to leave, he was suspended, and so a mixture of him walking out, he got suspended, and that suspension was supposed to end the day after WrestleMania, and conveniently enough, so he would have missed a WrestleMania, but it would have been huge for the night after WrestleMania to bring him back in, and that's always a big show that way, but at the same time, somebody dropped the ball and didn't realize his suspension was up, so he never returned because... He felt that it wasn't his position to call up the office and go, hey, my suspension's up, what am I doing? And it just went under the radar, and eventually it looked like he walked out, and he got his uh, release from WWE on uh, his wedding day to AJ. So there's a lot of bitterness over that way, but Mike Johnson asked if either of them were to call, what would happen and he said he'd listen so maybe that's a hint to WWE they just pick up the phone and give Mr. Phil Brooks a call early on in the panel actually uh, Mike Johnson mentioned about uh, things that Punk had possibly spurred on as a change in WWE policy and he mentioned that people like Becky Lynch, Seth Rollins, Finn Balor and others have actually been able to ask for time off and receive it and so, like, Finn Balor is taking a couple months off to get married. Uh, Becky and Seth took a couple weeks off. And you could could have knocked uh, Phil over with a light breeze with how stunned he was that people could actually ask for time off. And he joked that, hey, maybe I could go back and get a contract and then ask for time off. And so that came up a bunch of times where he was just amazed that that's now possible in the new version of WWE where I guess they're trying to be more wrestler friendly so they don't have another issue like they have with uh, CM Punk. Punk said that now that he's 40 uh, he's more mellow now and that even though a lot of things happened with him that were very personal with uh, Vince and especially Triple H uh, that you know he's a little more at rest with it and has sort of let it go. So I guess that's why he's 
willing to accept any phone call if they happen to have one. And with October coming, it'd be a perfect time to uh, spark some flame with uh, the two new contracts for television, especially the Fox deal. Punk also noted the fact that, you know, over time people get burned out, there's injuries, and that macho mentality of, oh, I gotta keep on going, keep on going, is kind of hurting the talent. And, of course, he hinted at it without saying, since the whole lawsuit was about doctors and professionals uh, being backstage, he wants better doctors. And also suggested a off-season uh, rotating talent around, which isn't a bad idea and could be doable, especially with all the talent that WD has and give other people a chance to be spotlighted throughout the year. Then Mike Johnson touched on a few stories and rumors that uh, were going around about Punk not being happy with his match with Undertaker at WrestleMania. Punk said he enjoyed his match with uh, Undertaker, would have probably preferred it being a main event because uh, he still always had that goal of main eventing at Wrestlemania but he was more disappointed in the way the match was built up even though he was going to be sacrificed to The Undertaker as another one of uh, the members of the streak um, he didn't feel like he was a viable threat to end that streak and the lack of way it was presented just didn't make sense to him but he went okay you're the boss and went along with it. He shared a story about Harley Race and being really intoxicated and throwing up all over his car. Also, uh, one of the times that Harley refed a match for him. Uh, there was talk about how Samoa Joe and him sort of brought back Ring of Honor from the brink of death with their 60-minute uh, match and their three-match series that they did. And, yeah, shared a few stories in that regards. Mike Johnson also asked about the uh, crazy story involving Tony Atlas and there being an incident in OVW. Uh, I guess Punk visited some friends and did a dark match and had his wrist all taped up like he normally does. Tony Atlas didn't know who he was and tried to coach him and tell him not to wear the tape because it looked like a tape fist match and that he wasn't going to make it to the main roster. Meanwhile, he'd already been on the main roster for a while with ECW and was even the ECW champion at the time and had the belt with him. And when Tony addressed the students, he kept on staring at uh, Punk for ticking him off and calling him an asshole. Uh, Punk finally realized what happened, but yeah, Tony just had no clue who he was and that he was already there. So it was an interesting story of craziness. Punk was asked uh, who he enjoyed working with. He, um, uh, said about Kofi he's happy about Kofi uh, being champion even though it's 10 years uh, later than he expected Dana Bryan he enjoyed working with C uh, John Cena and JBL and his uh, ladder match uh, he doesn't really consider his happiest moment in wrestling but it did find him on better ground and he also did that pipe bomb Mike Johnson asked about his uh not answering the phone from The Rock uh, when Dwayne tried calling during a video a taping of Fighting With My Family when Raw was in the Staples Center and they were off the air and uh, Dwayne picked up his cell phone. Since the fans were chanting CM Punk, he 
just gave uh, CM Punk a call, but there was no answer. Tons of people were texting uh, CM Punk to pick up his phone, but it turned out he was actually in an elevator getting ready to take his dog out for a walk and then noticed all these messages to answer his phone. He thought somebody died, and by the time he finally got in touch with uh, The Rock, it was already over and they were backstage, and so he didn't make that a sort of appearance. He was kind of weirded out by that, and he also apologized to The Rock for if he did anything in the past that might have ticked him off. They talked about uh, CM Punk writing a book, doing a Marvel character, uh, his comic book writing, and uh, how it reflects with Drax and Batista. If there'd be any DC comic characters that he'd end up being, since he's not really a DC comic fan. But yeah, they discussed stuff like that. Uh, they talked about racism and the fact that I guess AJ was uh, racially profiled by some woman yelling at them on the street. Um, and so he has no tolerance for uh, stuff like that. And he revealed that he likes to block people if they don't have a picture of themselves on Twitter. Uh, he won't associate himself with anybody who's not official or a troll. So overall, it wasn't really a groundbreaking uh, CM Punk uh, interview. He didn't take any questions from the audience, I think, for, on purpose. Uh, so he didn't uh, find himself in an awkward situation. Clearly, with Mike Johnson being a friend of his, the questions were already gone through and sifted and figured out before. So he kind of had an expectation of what he could talk about. Um, there wasn't any pipe bombs at all if people were looking for pipe bombs, but it is definitely an enjoyable 90 minutes, almost two hours um, of uh, seeing the real CM Punk, Phil Brooks. So if you have the Fight TV app, check out that or any of the other panels from the last three StarCasts, and uh, you won't be disappointed. There's going to be StarCast 4 in November. I personally think it's a little too soon for another one, and panels might start getting burned out. But, uh, yeah, check it out. Fight TV app. You won't be disappointed. Checking some quick notes in WWE news before we move on to the results from NXT UK Cardiff. It's been reported that with thanks from Paul Heyman, people like Becky, Seth, Bailey and Sasha have all been doing unscripted promos. I believe Dana Bryan and Roman might be a part of that uh, list as well. They're going to get given bullet points. And if this continues and they're successful, hopefully others will be able to do so in the future and get back to unscripted promos and actually have character built and feelings other than being rather robotic in talking about it. In an interesting twist with the NXT brand going to USA on Wednesdays, WWE attempted to be ahead of AEW with their thought of getting out there before them and establishing themselves as a two-hour live product. However, they didn't take into consideration that the final two episodes of USA Network's series called Suits was actually going to be happening on September 18th and 25th, I believe it is. And so they're going to do the first hour live on USA Network. And then you have to go to the network to get the second hour, 
of NXT. And then somehow, I guess, the full two hours is going to be available on the network. And you can watch all that afterwards as a complete back-to-back network experience. And that's going to happen for the first two weeks, as I said, September 18th and 25th. Then on October 2nd, the first full two-hour NXT uh, show will be going head-to-head with the very first AEW show on TNT at 8 o'clock on Wednesdays. Still not sure how this is going to affect our viewing here in Canada. Cody Rhodes keeps on saying there's going to be a broadcaster in Canada. Haven't heard anything yet. And with Sportsnet showing all of WWE programming and they'll be moving SmackDown over to Fridays, will they be picking up NXT on Wednesdays? And that could possibly affect where Jimmy Corderas, Nugnargan, and Santino Morella, or Anthony Corelli, along with Caroline Schwed, whether they go on, say, Wednesday if they pick up NXT, or if they move Aftermath to Friday. And in a bit of crazy news, obviously it involves Ric Flair. He's always said to be the man, you gotta beat the man, and that's been his catchphrase when he was in the NWA and WWE and everything, and that's cool, that's his catchphrase, but he's planning on getting a trademark for the term the man meanwhile that gets used in other things beyond just WWE. but he's not happy that becky lynch is using the man term he feels that WWE loves him but they've lost respect for him by giving her the title the man and so we'll have to see how that works out and he's apparently said that if he gets the trademark, that he'll still allow Becky to use it, but he wants WD to pay him. And obviously, this has to do clearly with money. The guy really doesn't know how to handle his money. He's probably in debt somewhere, and this is his next get-rich scheme. Uh, apparently, also, he's gotten himself a deal with Adidas Shoes. And we'll see how that goes out. That's obviously going to give him some money. WD lawyers are basically ignoring him and so we'll have to see if any court is going to give him the trademark the man and what happens beyond that now let's take a quick look at everything that happened this past week in WWE, including nxt takeover uk cardiff which happened saturday afternoon last week just before the aew all-out event the event opened with Noam Dar facing Travis Banks. Dar performed a Nova Roller on Banks to pick up the victory. Up next was Cesaro facing Dragunov. And Cesaro performed his uh, pop-up European uppercut and then a neutralizer to beat Dragunov to win. The third match of the show had the grizzled young veterans, Zach Gibson and James Drake, defending the NA. UK Tag Team Championships against Gallus, which is Mark Coffey and Wolfgang, and the team of Mark Andrews and Flash Morgan Webster. Andrews performed the Shooting Star Press on Gibson, and Webster uh, pinned Gibson to pick up the tag team titles, and so there's new champions for NXT UK. Joe Coffey and Dave Massive went against each other in a last man standing match 
In the end, Coffee and Mastiff fell off the production crate through a table. Mastiff could not stand up by the 10 count, and Coffee did, so Coffee ended up getting the victory. In the second last match before the main event, Tony Storm defended the NXT UK Women's Championship against Kaylee Ray. Ray ended up hitting a uh, rope hung glory bomb and a second glory bomb to Tony Storm, and she picked up the victory. So now that we have new tag team champions and a new NXT Women's Champion, what was going to happen in the main event when Walter defended the UK Championship? against Tyler Bate. This here match was an incredible match that went almost 40, well, probably about 43 minutes, almost 45 minutes, I think, it totally went. And these guys, wow, like Tyler Bate just blows your mind, of, especially with his size and the differential in size with Walter. I was hugely impressed by Walter when I saw him live in Toronto during uh, Smash Week, and I saw him on uh, Super Showdown taking on the Pillars, and just to see these two go at it is incredible. Uh, Walter hit a power bomb onto the ring apron, and then he had another power bomb into the post on Tyler Bate. Bate ended up hitting the uh, Tyler Driver ninety seven on Walter for a two count. Bate then hit a corkscrew senton bomb on Walter for a two count. But Walter still wouldn't sit down, uh, like stay down. And uh, Walter hit a diving splash onto Bate for a two count for himself. Walter finally hit a uh, folding powerbomb and hit a one count. And then Walter got a clothesline on Bate. And that was what actually took out Tyler Bate and put him down for the three count. And Walter ended up retaining the NXT, or, well, the WWE UK Championship. So, two titles changed, one didn't. Incredible event, and it definitely set the pace for the rest of the weekend. There were two other matches uh, recorded before the event started on WWE Network, and that had Rhea Ripley defeating Piper Niven, and Cassius Ono defeated Sid Sakala, and those were uh, recorded for the NXT UK show that happened on Wednesday. Taking a quick look at uh, Raw from this past week, the tag team champions Seth Rollins and Braun Strowman ended up defeating the OC. The show actually started with them trying to do a contract signing, and Michael Cole was presiding over it, but the OC decided to come out and interrupt things, and the contract never got signed because AJ Styles protested it and ripped up the contract himself. And so... Later on in the show, there were some tweets from Stone Cold Steve Austin, and he says he's going to be at Raw this week to preside over the actual contract signing, and Raw is coming to us from Madison Square Gardens this week. In the aftermath of the, the match of the OC uh, and Braun Strowman and Seth Rollins, Dolph Ziggler and Robert Roode had attacked as well, and there was like a five-on-one uh, attack on Braun Strowman, and then they focused on Seth Rollins. Partway through that whole thing, Strowman accidentally ran over Seth as well, so that could set up some dissension with them going into their match at Clash of Champions, and suspicion with them being 
uh, tag team champions as well. Uh, Dolph and Robert Roode were still at uh, ringside and they had a match to take on uh, Zack Ryder and Kurt Hawkins and they defeated them. Lacey Evans defeated Natalia. Sasha Banks ended up challenging Becky Lynch to the Raw Women's Championship uh, match at Bash, I mean, Clash of the Champions, which happens in uh, a week and a half from now or next weekend. Next weekend, should I say. Uh, Baron Corbin defeated Cedric Alexander to advance in the King of the Ring. It was actually a really good match considering it had... Uh, Baron Corbin in it. Unfortunately, I still don't agree with the fact that Baron Corbin is getting such a push. I thought Cedric Alexander was going to make it to the finals, and that obviously didn't happen. The Viking Raiders defeated two uh, jobbers who decided to insult uh, Baltimore and call them Baltimoreans, and they drove from Pittsburgh to be there, and they were destroyed pretty quickly by the Viking Raiders. And almost made them into baby faces because the jobbers were healing on the town. Ricochet and Samoa Joe ended up in a double pinfall as they both pinned each other. And John Cone, the referee, tried to get a decision from the back because he couldn't make his own decision. Instead, he got called to the back. And Baron Corbin tried to say, oh, well, he gets a bye, which obviously... That should happen when there's no winner or no loser in a match like that. It's a draw. But John Cone decided to say that both will advance and there'll be a triple threat on Monday featuring Samoa Joe, Ricochet, and Baron Corbin to go to the finals against the SmackDown competitor. Bray Wyatt had a uh, Firefly Funhouse. Um... They questioned whether or not he should be getting the title shot against the winner of Braun Strowman and Seth Rollins at Hell in a Cell. And Bray Wyatt just gave uh, the evil Vince puppet uh, some money, fed it in his mouth, and poof, he's going to have the title at that uh, next pay-per-view, I believe is October 6th-ish, two days after SmackDown makes its move to Fox. Miz ended up uh, defeating uh, Cesaro, and the main event had uh, Bailey teaming up with Becky Lynch to go after the uh, WWE Women's Tag Team Champions, and Sasha Banks got involved and started hitting uh, Becky with a chair. The match was thrown out, obviously, because of the interference by Sasha, but then Bailey came back into the ring, took the chair away from Sasha, and they looked at each other, smiled, and Bailey ended up beating the chair over the back of Becky Lynch, essentially turning heel, it seemed like, and being reunited with her best friend, Sasha. So over on SmackDown the very next night, Bailey and Sasha started the show and Bailey stressed that she, despite what happened at the ending of Raw, that she's still the same person that is a good uh, person, wants to be a role model to the girls out there, and that uh, she should be the women's champion that the universe is proud of. She then uh, vowed that she'd defeat the most uh, selfish person on the 
WWE roster at Clash of Champions being Charlotte Flair. Charlotte came out and confronted her. With Charlotte there, she said that that's not going to happen and that she's going to take the title at Clash of Champions. Sasha came uh, out as well. Charlotte attacked Bailey. Sasha attacked Charlotte. They were rolling around until Bailey got a chair and started beating down on Charlotte. Then she handed the chair over to Sasha to finish off the job. And that's going to lead to this week on SmackDown, or nope, this week on Raw, there's going to be Charlotte and Becky having a team together to go against the former women's tag team champions, Sasha and Bayley. So the four horsewomen are all going to be in one match. I'm not too sure about this happening on Raw this week. I would have saved it actually and started to stretch it as much as possible to October 4th when they go to Fox. Elias ended up beating Ali to advance in the next round of the King of the Ring tournament. It's been interesting to see some of these bigger guys like Elias and Baron Corbin getting decent matches while being paired against these cruiserweight-style competitors like Ali and Cedric Alexander. The team of Sonya Deville and Mandy Rose, known as Fire and Desire, wanted to get a tag team title shot. Instead, they were given a non-title shot or match at uh, early in the day. Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross were confronted by Fire and Desire, Sonya Deville and Mandy Rose, of them wanting a tag team title match. They kind of got denied, but they were given a match against each other later on in the night. So, Fire and Desire ended up picking up the victory over the Tag Team Champions. So, you can imagine that's going to be granted a title match at Clash of Champions. Randy Orton to come out to talk about Kofi Kingston and about New Day being down and out. Kofi came out and was then attacked by the Revival. And they uh, brought him down to the ring. Randy kept on calling Kofi stupid for coming out. And they hit a uh, sort of a flapjack into a RKO on uh, Kofi. Samoa Joe earlier in the evening had confronted uh, Chad Gable. Mocked him for being small and said, hey, it's things that you are here before. But the problem is it still affects you. And Chad looked like he was going to cry. And then the match was Chad Gable against Andrade. Selena Vega addressed the whole vertically challenged competitor. And she's vertically challenged as well. And basically insulted Chad saying uh, that he can't do it. But if Andrade hadn't been in the match or in the tournament that he had a good shot at it. But since Andrade is in the match and the tournament that Gable was finished. Gable ended up surprising a victory out of uh, Andrade. There was a little bait-and-switch swerve where it looked like Gable was going to get screwed over because Vega had the distraction of the referee, but Gable was able to still pick up the uh, roll-up victory, and he's moving on to face Elias on Tuesday in the semifinals of the King of the Ring tournament. And we'll see who will 
he faced when they he, they get the winner of the triple threat match that's happening on Raw. Aleister Black decided to go to the ring instead of sitting in his room and issued an open challenge, which Shelton Benjamin picked up, but that didn't last long. Under two minutes, and Black hit the Black Mass and got the victory. Shinsuke Nakamura came to uh, the ringside or into the ring, and he had Sami Zayn by his side, and he beat a local competitor in no time flat. There was whole shenanigans with the 24-7 title, and R-Truth ended up getting it in the end, but Drake Maverick had ended up losing it to Bo Dallas and got it back, but Truth was hiding at the uh, throne area on the stage and rolled up Drake for the victory, and that makes R-Truth like a 14-time uh, 24-7 champion. The show ended with Daniel Bryan wanting an apology from Roman Reigns for everything and saying that he didn't uh, attack him. And that didn't end up happening because Rowan ended up coming out and attacking Roman Reigns. And then when Daniel Bryan tried confronting him, Rowan ended up attacking him and stood tall, making Rowan look like he's a main eventer and he's supposed to go against Roman Reigns at Clash of Champions. This has had a lot of really bad writing going on and there's talk that uh, some writers are being uh, flip-flopped around uh, between Raw and SmackDown just to make up for this uh, horrible storyline that has gone nowhere, especially after the uh, imposter Rowan that nothing got explained where that happened afterwards. Some really bad videos that were produced to put this in, in motion because I don't didn't really get the whole oh there's Eric Rowan just mysteriously wandering through uh yeah it's just been really bad and how this is all going to lead to Roman Reigns and Daniel Bryan now is beyond me but somehow somebody's going to have to come in and resurrect this whole thing and uh, solve it and save it so it gets to the ultimate destination of Reigns and Bryan. So that's uh, what happened this week on the shows and that leads us to Clash of Champions which happens next week. Clash of Champions happens on September 15th from Charlotte, North Carolina at the Spectrum Center. All titles are supposed to be on the line however we still have yet to have a match determined for the United States Championship with AJ Styles. What we will get is Roman Reigns against Eric Rowan, the finals of the King of Ring Tournament. The tag team titles for the Raw division will be Seth Rollins and Braun Strowman against Robert Roode and Dolph Ziggler. The New Day will defend the SmackDown Championships against the Revival. The women's tag team titles will have Nikki Cross and Alexa Bliss defending against Mandy Rose and Sonya Deville. The Intercontinental title will be on the line with Shinsuke Nakamura against The Miz. Drew Gulak defends the Cruiserweight Championship against Humberto Carrillo and Lindsay Dorado in a three-way match. Becky Lynch defends the Raw Women's Championship against Sasha. And Bailey defends the 
SmackDown Women's Championship against Charlotte. Seth Rollins is supposed to defend the United the Universal Championship against Braun Strowman after they hopefully retain their tag team titles, which I doubt is going to happen since they still have to face each other later on. And you have Kofi Kingston against Randy Orton for the WWE Championship. So hopefully this week they'll satisfy and settle on what the uh, U.S. title match is going to be. And we're looking at 12 matches happening at Clash of Champions. So after all of this excitement of our first episode of live television on TNT, what's a man to do? I'll tell you what. He's going to go down to the London Comic Con on October 5th and 6th. He's going to be playing some video games. He's going to be checking out the cosplay. And most importantly, he's going to be hanging out with all of you fans. So please come down and say hi October 5th and 6th. But wait, there is more. Oh, that's right. I've got a special surprise because I'm going to be bringing a friend. Oh, yeah, I'm calling a friend. My sister from another mother, my tag team partner. That's right. I am bringing... AEW superstar, you may have seen her before, Viho. She is coming down, and you can meet the two of us. London, Ontario, October 5th and 6th. See you there. See you soon. Thanks for joining me for this edition of the Scumbags Wrestling Podcast, episode number 71. We got number 72 coming up next week. Be sure to share with your friends. On Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, iTunes, and Podcoin, where you can earn money just for listening to this podcast. Be sure to check out the production line when we return from our short hiatus. Plus, check out the talent from the Tyson Dukes Russell Factory at the Western Fair all next week until September 15th, right here in London, Ontario. Until next time, have a great week, and we'll see you then. Hey wrestling fans, welcome to this week's edition of Scumbags Wrestling Podcast. It's episode number 71. Be sure to share this with your friends, whether they listen to podcasts on iHeartRadio, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Podcoin, or any of the other 10 locations that we're available on. Be sure to check us out on our Facebook page each and every day for the Superstar of the Day and every Friday for the production line. When we visit the Tyson Dukes Wrestle Factory, it's on our Facebook page and our YouTube channel where you can see all the episodes that have been archived over the last while. On this week's episode, we're going to check out what happened at AEW's All Out. We're going to check out also NXT UK Cardiff Takeover, plus all the news happening in the wrestling world, and we'll check out the independent scene in just a moment. Thanks for joining me. I'll be right back after this short message. Don't be a stupid idiot and miss this all-elite vacation, man. Join the GOAT and thousands of the Friends of Jericho as they set sail on the Rockin' Wrestling Rager at Sea, Part 2. ChrisJerichoCruise.com. There's less than 30 cabins available. Fans of The Walking Dead might run when they hear the announcement that Cooper Andrews a.k.a. Jerry, will be coming to London Comic Con, October 5th and 6th, London Convention Center, presented by Start.ca. Trekkies rejoice. 
Denise Crosby, Lieutenant Tasha Yar makes her way to London Comic Con October 5th and 6th, presented by Start.ca at the London Convention Center. The one and only Tim Curry will be a featured guest at London Comic Con, presented by Start.ca October 5th and 6th, 2019, the London Convention Center. This is Sting Bassey. You're listening to the Scumbags Wrestling Podcast. Are you looking to get into the wrestling business? Well, look no further than the Tyson Dukes Wrestle Factory, located right here in London, Ontario. It's Tyson has over 20 years of experience in the wrestling world, and he's even been brought down to the WWE Performance Center to be a guest trainer. We've already seen the likes of Jordan James, Kyle Boone, Violet Lee, Jim Strider, Pharaoh Bowman, Chris Mitchells, and many more. Plus, the new generation that are coming from the second group, such as Josh Pine, Shiloh, Nova, Frankie War, and many more. You don't want to miss your opportunity to learn from one of the best in Ontario, if not all of Canada, or the world, in Tyson Dukes. So that's the Tyson Dukes Rust Factory. It's open Monday, Wednesday, and Thursdays, and located at 309 Exeter Road here in London. You hear the rumble in here? The rumble is the sound of progression and fundamentals are being made at the Wrestling Factory. This is Tyson Dukes and you're listening to the Scumbags of Wrestling Podcast, y'all. The Signature Spot with Chris Toplack is a weekly podcast available every Thursday that covers the world of professional wrestling. It's an easy-to-digest show that ranges from 30 to 40 minutes in length and focuses on show recaps, highlights from the week, industry news and rumors, full event previews along with predictions, topics of the week, and featured guests such as journalists and fellow podcasters. It's a professional yet personable show that's all about connecting with you. To subscribe, head over to youtube.com forward slash the signature spot or listen on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever podcasts are available. And to be a part of the conversation, like the signature spot on Facebook. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Brent Money Banks, and you are listening to Scumbags of Wrestling. Scumbags is money.
granted, I understand it's essentially the same unappreciative crowd full of scumbags from last night. <laughs>